and my marker is mysteriously missing. Um, <laughs> it's going to be hard to do some drawing without a marker um, that was there. But, um, okay, if somebody can find my marker, that'd be awesome. If maybe somebody picked it up. Oh, it fell? Okay. I did a guy look, and it wasn't there. Oh, naturally, of course, back behind the curtain. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but uh, we're, we're, we're preaching on a letter, a letter that Jesus wrote to several churches in the book of Revelation, chapter three, uh, chapter two and three. Jesus is speaking to the churches, and uh, this, of course, was written in a particular time and a particular place. Um, this is written to the first century church. This is probably about 96 A.D. is when people believe that the book of Revelation was written. And Jesus has some specific things to say to those churches. And so we've been looking at that, but really it's also the word of God. So it's eternally applicable. It's eternally applicable because I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's nothing new under the sun. So what you and I are going through, what America is going through, what, what, our, what, what, what our situation is, it's not a new situation. It's not new struggles or new trials. Um, many, many have gone through the exact same things before. And so we're looking at the letters from Jesus to these churches, and uh, we're calling it uh, Dear Church. Because it's really, it's really Jesus' message um, to the church. And last week we talked about how basically Jesus' message to the church in Ephesus was, um, I know your works, I know your, your patience, I know your endurance, but I have one thing against you, and that is that you have left your first love. So, dear church, you've got to get your fire back. Dear church, you've got to get your, your passion back. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and turn to somebody. Help, help me out a little bit. Just, just go and say, dear so-and-so, whatever their name is. So you got to get your passion back. You got to get your fire back. That's, that's, that's a word from Jesus. Okay. That's, that's biblical. And I'm not, I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm not just talking about a denominational fire. I'm not talking about singing particular songs. I mean, a passion for God, a passion for the presence of God. You got to get your passion back. You got to get on fire again. Uh, I love I love that first letter. If you want to listen to that, that'll be on our podcast this week. But today we're going to read from Revelation chapter um, two. We're going to go on to the next church, the next letter that Jesus writes to the church. Revelation two verses eight through ten. Jesus says uh, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Now the angel means the messenger or the pastor, what we would call the pastor of the church in Smyrna. He says now to the angel or to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write these things. These things says the first and the last. Now, that's Jesus. He's identifying himself. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. He said, I know your works, your tribulation and your poverty. Parentheses, but you are rich. <laughs> I love that. I know your poverty, but really I want to let you know from my perspective, you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Positive, encouraging Jesus, always just being so gentle. Verse 10, and this is his message to the church in Smyrna. Do not fear. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. I love, I love how Jesus is so honest. He, Jesus is not the kind of guy that wraps his arm around you and says, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> if you think that that is Jesus, just ask the people in Smyrna. 
So Jesus just sent us a letter, guys, and I uh, get to preach my sermon to you. Basically, the devil's going to throw a lot of us into jail. Woo! There's an echo on this sucker. Awesome. You know, it's like, that's, that's the message. Not, I mean, this, this letter would be a lot better if Jesus would have said, the devil's going to try to throw some of you into prison, but I'm going to stop him. Right? I'm going to stick my, my, little, my big toe out and trip him on his way to, to get you into prison. Like, like I'm, I'm going to raise up a standard against him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bind him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast him out. I'm going to save you from jail. Like, that would have been, been a positive, encouraging letter. I mean, we could have written a uh, best-selling book about that one. We, got, we get on TBN with that one. But, <laughs> but he, says, he says, no, no, no. The devil's about to throw some of you into prison comma, in order that you may be tested, comma, and you will have tribulation for 10 days. <laughs> Can I just tell you, God's not going to remove opposition from your life. It's, it's, it's kind of like, and, and it's, growing up in the church, I grew up in the church, and so I, I heard a lot where people would say, the devil is a liar. You know what I mean? Like they, they, just, they, they, like they just say it. That's just a statement. The devil's a liar. Well, yes, that's true. Also, uh, one of our overseers, um, I, I talked to him weekly, Jeremy Heard. Usually whenever I tell him something negative that's happened, like, like for instance, like when Janie uh, tripped here on the entryway and um, busted some of her tendons, and she's still in church, even in a wheelchair. Wow, that's, that's the <laughs> persistence right there. But, you know, I'm telling our overseer about this. I'm like, we had to call the ambulance, you know, like, they, like this is not. And so his response is, is, is like a lot of times whenever something's negative, he, he usually says, oh, I hate the devil. That's why he says, oh, I'm so mad at the devil. And, uh, <laughs> and I understand that because, I mean, I'm not necessarily in the devil's fan club. You know, <laughs> I'm not necessarily like, you know, cheering for him. But I think it's just, it's just, it's just kind of funny because, because, like, what did you expect the devil to be? Like, we already know what the devil is. The devil is going to continue to be the devil. The devil is, is bad. That's just what he is. And, and it's kind of like sometimes I feel like as Christians, like we can be, and if you're not a Christian today, this will help you understand us Christians a little bit. But sometimes we can feel kind of like, kind of like we, are, we are a football team and we're out there on the field and we were surprised that a defense showed up. You know what I mean? Like we got in the huddle, we made our play, you're going to run down there, I'm going to hike it, and then, okay, ready, set, one, two. What are you guys doing? Hey, uh, what are these guys doing here? <laughs> They're going to try to sack me? What are you talking about? Like, no, 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 no. The game would be so much easier if there weren't those pesky cornerbacks, you know, covering our wide receivers. I mean, they tend to hit the ball down occasionally, and that mess ups, that's messes up our big plays. And we got people trying to tackle us and sack us. And so sometimes we can, we can approach the game field of life, and we can, be like, we can be like, okay, all right, we're ready to run our play for God. We're ready to go for this. And then, and then it's like, oh, there's, a, there's, there's opposition? No, Lord, you're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to get rid of opposition. You're going to have to take these guys off the field. Can I just tell you, God is always going to let the devil play. <laughs> He's going to let the defense play. Because number one, nobody wants to watch a game where there's no defense on the field because that's just boring. That's drills. Nobody's going to give you a Super Bowl trophy for driving down the field and scoring a touchdown without any defenders. Now, I know whenever you play Atlanta, it feels like there are no defenders, but they are, in fact, out there. <laughs> they are out there, 
You just don't see them. But I, I, sorry, all the Falcon fans. But I'm telling you, like, 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 no one's going to give you a, a, a Super Bowl trophy because there's no, there's the. It takes the value out of the victory. When you don't have an enemy, it sucks the value out of the victory. You, you, you would never have heard of David if he hadn't conquered a giant, David and Goliath. It's not David and Harry. If David had conquered Harry, nobody ever would have heard about David. Because you could conquer me accidentally just by walking into me when I'm not watching where you're going. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not difficult. There's no difficulty. Jesus is saying here, look, the devil is making his play. He's got a huddle too. He is scheming, and his scheme is to throw you into prison. And then Jesus gives his church not the answer that they're looking for, but the answer that they need. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to stop the devil, but rather he tells the church the devil's game plan. He tells them the purposes. I mean, he knows it, Jesus is a be, has got better surveillance of the devil's game plan than Bill Belichick of, of other teams. I mean, I mean, he knows what's coming up. You know what I'm saying? And so he says he's going to throw you into prison. Sorry, all the New England fans back there, Emilio and Bob. But he's going to throw you into prison. But that's not even the point. I'm not, he's, he's not throwing you into prison because he likes to make your life miserable. He's not throwing you into prison because he, 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 he wants to take away your freedom. He's not throwing you into prison. No, he tells you why. He's throwing you into prison so that you may be tested. Another translation says tempted to sin or enticed to sin. Can I just tell you that everything you're going through in your life, the purpose, the game plan of the enemy for your life is that you would sin. Period. That's, that's what it's all about. He's, he's, not, he's not just a big bully. He's not just a big meanie. He doesn't, just, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your finances. He doesn't care about your freedom. He cares about your faith. That's his touchdown. That's where he's, that's where he's going for. And so Jesus tells the church. He, he gives them a clue. He says, look, look the, 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 the devil is scheming. He's making up his play. He's going to be successful. Or he's, th he's thinking he's going to be successful. He's going to be able to throw you into prison. But... The purpose is that you would lose your faith. And so I'm telling you this beforehand so that right after that period, be faithful <laughs> until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Some things you need to know about this church in Smyrna. Um, Smyrna is situated about 40 miles away from Ephesus. It's interesting uh, that when Jesus gave the letters to John, he gave him seven letters for seven churches. Those seven churches were exactly along the route. The order that Jesus gave them in was along the route that you would travel to deliver them. And so the first stop from the island of Patmos where John was uh, imprisoned would have been Ephesus. And from there, the next stop would have been Smyrna. Now, Smyrna was different than Ephesus in that Smyrna was the primary ally of the Romans. The, the, Smyrna was the primary Roman ally in the region. In fact, Smyrna uh, had defected, de defected, defected, I don't know, had given in to Rome before other, uh, other cities had. And so they, they had claimed Rome as their sovereign uh, hundreds of years prior to this letter. They were pro-Rome, so much so that uh, after this letter was written, they actually ended up building a temple to Roma, the goddess of Rome. I mean, they were, they, were all about, they were all about Roman culture. They were all about Roman ideals. Uh, it was a very um, pagan culture, but it was, it was extremely um, patriotic to Rome. 
And this, of course, would, would cause a problem for the church. I want you to understand some of the things that Jesus is saying here in the first, uh, in the few, first few verses. So verse 8, uh, if you go back to verse 8, he says uh, that these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation and your poverty. He said, I know your tribulation and your poverty. The word tribulation there means pressure. So there's some things I want to talk to you about. First of all, I want to talk to you about pressure and poverty. I want to talk to you about pressure and poverty because this church knew all about pressure and poverty. This church knew about, first of all, pressure. They knew about opposition. So uh, the, the, the local government of Smyrna, the culture of Smyrna was very pro-Rome. And Rome uh, believed that it had conquered the world because of its gods. It was a pluralistic society, believed in several gods. One of Rome's gods was Caesar. So if you were lucky enough to become the next Caesar, then you were declared to be a god. And every Roman citizen, everyone conquered by Rome, uh, had to, once a year, come before an altar, uh, Caesar's altar, take some incense, pour it on the smoldering fire, and declare, Caesar is Lord. Now, to us, that sounds a little extreme. <laughs> uh, we're just voting Democrat and Republican, you know. And, uh, but, 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 but back in those days, this is very normal. This is, this is their belief. They believe that Caesar is a god. They believe in several gods. And, and most people around that time in that place in the world did believe in several gods. So it's not that big a deal to adopt Caesar as one of your gods. And this is what they did. And when you declared that Caesar was Lord, you got your papers. You, you got papers that, that, that stated that you were a Caesar follower. You were official, right? You joined the Caesar, the Church of Caesar. You got your membership card. And, and, and that was very important because if you didn't have your membership card, if you were pulled over uh, for speeding with your chariots down through uh, Smyrna going too fast, you get pulled over, they're going to ask for your papers. They're going to make sure that you are a Caesar worshiper. And if you don't have papers, the penalty is death. The penalty is death, usually by feeding two lions. They hit a huge coliseum in Smyrna. Or by being burned alive. So it's not pretty. Now, now the, the, the Romans ran into a bit of a problem when they conquered Israel because the Israelites are monotheists. They believe in one God. They don't believe in any other gods. And so unlike the other cultures that they had dominated, the, the, the Israelites were monotheists and the Israelites were ready to die for their faith. And so the Jews knew, or the, the Romans knew this, that they couldn't just impose this worship of Caesar on them or else they'd have to slaughter them all. So they made an exception for the Jews. Which brings me to Smyrna's poverty. You see, initially, uh, Jewish people living outside of Jerusalem, outside of the domain of, of Israel, those living especially in some of these Greek provinces and some of these Roman-controlled provinces, originally... The Christians said, hey, we're with them. We're with the Jews because Jesus is Jehovah. So we worship the same God. We are monotheists. We worship one God. His name is Jehovah. His name is Jesus. His name is Yahweh. His name is Elohim. He has several names. But we, we are sons and daughters of Abraham. So, 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 so that's how Christians were able to survive because Rome had already given uh, Israelites a free pass on this worshiping Caesar thing. And so when they realized that these folks, oh, these folks are just following in the same tradition as the Old Testament, as the Jewish tradition, only now they're worshiping Jesus, they gave him a pass. Well, this is why, if you look at the passage, Jesus says, I know 
your tribulation and your poverty. And right after the word poverty or lack, he says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are really a synagogue of Satan. What had happened is that the Jewish people decided that they didn't like the Christians. And so they went to Rome and said, they're not actually with us. They don't serve the same God, that Jesus isn't Jehovah. In fact, we don't believe Jesus is anything but a false prophet. He was crucified by the Romans uh, in order to put this whole thing to rest. These guys are not with us. And so the Jewish people uh, in Smyrna were reporting and turning in Christian people who didn't have papers. And the Caesar of that time was a little bit bloodthirsty for Christians, and Christians were being slaughtered. And Jesus said, I know, I know the pressure. I know the pressure that's up against you, but I also know your poverty. Sometimes what you thought you had in your back pocket just isn't there. <laughs> that's poverty, it's lack. He said, I know you thought that you should have had these brothers and sisters, and many times relatives, many times former friends. I know you should have, they should have been there for you. They should have been able to protect you. They should have been able to stand up for you. But, but you turned around in your hour of need and they were not there. Now, I don't know if that applies to your life at all. I mean, I'm sure you've always, everybody's always there for you. Um, <laughs> I'm sure in 2016, you have no pressure and you have no poverty. Um, you know, but, but really, this is, this is not for you. This is for the person sitting next to you. So I'm not even talking to you. Uh, you just, just relax. This sermon has nothing to do with you. It's, uh, it's, it's the person that didn't come to church today. This is, this is for them. And so, uh, but I want you to know that God sees what you're going through. God sees the pressure and the poverty. God sees the pressure of what you're up against, the hardest fight of your life, the biggest mountain that you've ever stood in front of. God understands what that looks like, what that feels like. But then on top of it, when you thought you had support or when you thought you should have had support or when you thought you had finances, but that disappeared, or when you thought you had friendships, but those evaporated, and when you thought you had, whatever was in your supposed bank account has dried up and you are living not only with the pressure of having to figure out how to move forward, but the poverty of having to sustain yourself in the meantime, God sees what you're going through. He said, I know, I know. I know what you're going through. And so this is my sermon titled today. And I want you to help once again, turn to somebody next to you and I want you to just announce my sermon title to them. All right, are you, you're not even turned. What are you doing? Like, how do you, waiting on me? Turn, turn first, one step at a time. I'm not gonna look, no, just kidding. Okay, so turn to somebody next to you and tell them I'm going through something, but I'm gonna keep on going. That was, that was very nice of you. That was very affirming. Now, for, for your second choice, some of you didn't even turn to your spouses. That's, that's, that's wrong, Jonathan. That's messed up. All right, I called you out. All right, now turn to your second choice, the person you ignored, the person you didn't find. All right, so turn to your second choice, all right, and, and tell them, I couldn't help it over here <laughs> that you're going through something. <laughs> but Jesus is telling you today, you need to keep going. <laughs> you need to keep going. <laughs> you need 
to keep going. Jesus says to his church in Smyrna, he has no rebuke for them. He has no harsh words for them. He has only encouragement. First of all, he tells them something about himself. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the first and the last. If you are going to keep going through whatever it is that you are going through, you're going to have to recognize that Jesus is the first and the last. I, I, was, I, was, I was talking to Madden this week, and she was asking me, uh, she was, she was asking me if I loved God more than mom. And, uh, and uh, I said, yes, 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 I love God more than Rowena, even though I love Rowena a lot. I mean, I would take a bullet for her, like in the foot, and uh, I just I love her so much. <laughs> my left foot and I love her so much you know I like 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 I like I love my wife I think as much as I can I think she loves me about as much as is humanly possible for someone to love someone else um but 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 I love God more and man and said well why how could you love God more than mom and I said because God was there when mom wasn't like, I love mom, and mom's there for me all the time, and she loves me as much as she possibly can, but she came into my life when I was 26 years old, and I was a lot more put together than when I was 16. <laughs> and at 16, I was a lot more mature than when I was six. You know what I'm saying? And at six, I was, I was a lot more mature than when I was one. But there was somebody who was there first. God was there first. God believed in me first. God saw me first. God saw me before my, my mom and dad saw me. God saw me before the doctors on the sonogram could see me. God saw my unformed substance. How in the world do you see something that is unformed? I don't know. But somehow God saw me before anybody else saw me. God believed in me before anybody. He was the first one to speak to my destiny. He was the first one to love me. He was the first one to call me. He was the first one to see anything good in Harry James Fleming Jr. Important here in Michigan, God was the first. And God was there when nobody else was there. God was there when I was dealing with depression. God was there when I wanted to give up. God was there when I was too religious to even realize how prideful I was. And he still saw me and he was the first to call it out of me and deal with me and pull it out of me and love me through everything that I've been going through. He's the first. And you never forget the first. You never, you never release the first. I mean, uh, Ro is great, and, and we have a great relationship, but she doesn't know me like God knows me. She knows what I share with her about me. <laughs> and what she picks up on through osmosis, because she's a woman, and things just float in there. Which is always 100% right, babe. 100% accurate, accurate, accurate. <laughs> but that's what she knows. She doesn't know the parts I don't talk about. She doesn't know the parts I don't even think about. She doesn't know the parts that I've put so far back in my memory because I don't want to face and I don't want to think. She, God knows me better than I know myself. God is the first one to see every single wrinkle and every single sin and every single failure and every single weak spot in my life. He's the first. And sometimes I think it's important, I think it's important for those of you that are in the middle of something, which apparently I, I overheard you telling people that you were. So this sermon is for you. I didn't even know, but you know, and so sometimes like when you're in the middle of something, you, it, you, 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 it's helpful to get a word from the guy who was at the start of it. Because, because you can be all passionate at the start. You can be fired up at the start. You can be, woo, I'm going to start a new diet come January. 
Glory to God. And I'm going to splurge throughout all of December. It's going to be awesome. But, but I mean, you get, you get there in the start. You got vision. You got motivation. You, got, you, got, you can see it. Man, oh, you're there. Oh, it's all about it. But then you walk through life just a little ways. You get a couple months into it. And you're in the middle of it. And it's so easy to forget about why you started And Jesus says to the church in Smyrna, I know that you are in the middle of it. I know that it is difficult, but I am the first. I am the start. I'm still there at the start. And I'm sending you a voice from the beginning, the why you started this thing to begin with. You're, You're in persecution. And guess what? You got more persecution on the way. That's what he says. He says, the devil's about to dot, 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 dot. Oh, great, great. Thank you, thank you. It's going to get worse. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I like that church. They tell me things are going to get worse. I don't think that's not good. That's fine. Listen, listen to Christian radio and you'll, 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 you'll be okay. But it's, I, I'm, I'm a little too harsh on them. Ro is always playing K-Love. She loves it. And my kids memorize the songs and I, I, I like that. But, but for me, I just, I'm just, I'm too worldly. I just can't do it. And so you, you have, you have, you have a church in the middle of it. And Jesus says, let me bring out, let me zoom out the perspective a little bit. Let me, let me just, let me just pull out a little bit and let me remind you about the first and the start. I, I, and this is the thing. Jesus is the first and the last simultaneously. Which means that, that when, he, when, when you were at your first, when you were at first, you had no idea what was over here. You were just first. And then you start walking and you're like, oh my goodness, this is a lot harder than I thought. Holy, wow, I, I, wasn't, I didn't see that coming. And, and, and you get taken off guard. God wasn't taken off guard because God is the first and he is the last. So he's, he's simultaneously, he is, he's at the beginning of your journey and he's at the end of your journey. He's at, he's, he's, he's at your birth, he's at the, your delivery room, and he's at your funeral. He knows how it ends. So he's, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. So he writes the first chapter, but then he writes the second chapter, and then he writes the third chapter. And the Bible says that he's written all of our chapters before even one single word has been entered into our life. Before we actually live it, he's written it. Which is why when we're stuck on chapter three, he's not freaking out. Which is why when Smyrna is in the middle of it, and oh my goodness, it's just going to get worse. Now you're telling me it's going to get worse. God's not scared. <laughs> As T-Bear would say, God's not scared. He's not, he's, he's, not, he's not freaking out. He's not one wringing his hands saying, oh my goodness, I didn't see that. The devil's going to throw him into prison. Boy, boy, I wish I could have known about that. I, 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 I was unaware. No, God is aware because God is at the beginning and he is at the end. Sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you need to hear from somebody who's at the beginning and who's made it through to the end. He is, he's already stepped in. Anywhere you go, you're not the first one there. <laughs> Any situation you're in, you're, it's the first time you're there. But it is not, you are not the first. Whatever you're suffering, whatever you're dealing with, you are not the first. And I'm not talking about other people. Because you are the first to experience the kind of pain like only you can experience it. So it doesn't matter if somebody else has been through a similar situation. Oh, I lost my job too. I know exactly how you feel. No, 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 you, did, you didn't lose my job. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't live in my family with my, like you, 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 you don't know exactly because it's not the same. 
It's not apples to apples. It's different scenarios, different situations. The Bible says only the, the heart knows one's own pain. So, so that nobody else can really truly know what you're going through except the one who's actually been where you are. And Jesus has been literally exactly where you are because he was there before you got there. He walked into your tomorrow when you were still in yesterday. And by the time you stepped into today, this is already old news. He's already dealt with it. He's already figured it out. And he's welcoming you to take the next step because he actually has been where you are. <laughs> in the future, he was there. This is grammatically bizarre, but this is God who lives in eternity. Jesus is the first. Jesus, uh, Jesus wasn't created by the Father. Jesus, there was never a time when the Father existed and the Son did not. Just because he's called the Son of God doesn't mean he's, he's separate from God. He's not. God and Jesus are one. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. The Father is the Son. They are, they are one, and they have always existed. They have never been created. They've never stepped into any moment afresh and anew. They have always lived in everything that will ever be. They, they are eternal. They are outside of time and space. And so not only theologically is it accurate, but in our present lives and present conditions. <laughs> when, he, when he speaks to us out of the first and the last... I want to read 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 8 through 10. This is Paul, and he's talking to the church in Corinth, and he says, I don't want you to be stupid. Oh, I'm sorry, uninformed. <laughs> That's my next sermon title, don't be stupid. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. I don't want, I, like, there's some stuff that I think you don't know, and so I'm telling you so that you will know. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. And this is almost very similar to what Jesus is saying to Smyrna. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Don't ever let people tell you that God won't put more on you than you can handle. Paul is far beyond his ability to endure, a.k.a. more than I can handle. <laughs> I, I, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to handle, so that we even despaired of life itself. Oh, it doesn't sound like you have a lot of faith there, brother. I think you need to, you need to pray a little more, read the Bible some, get some more faith because you're struggling. This is Paul, man. This is Paul. He, like, you know what Paul has seen, what Paul has been through? Do you know he's been, a, he's been not just to heaven. He's been several levels. I mean, this guy, if anybody should have had faith solid like a rock, and he says, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. We turned to each other and said, I think it's over. <laughs> Go on to verse 10. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. <laughs> God will put more on you than you can handle so that you will stop relying on yourself. This happened, he says, so that we would not rely on ourselves, but rather on God who raises the dead. Now remember, there was a, they felt that they were dying. They felt that this thing is over. They felt they were staring death in the face. And Paul said, the reason why God brought us to that point is so that we would know that we serve a God who is able when we are not able, who is greater than we are, who has a plan when we don't, who can make a way when we don't have a way, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can 
could ask or think according to power that's working inside of us. And even if we are going down to death, that we serve a God who raises the dead. <laughs> he is the God of the dead and the living. In fact, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. The first, he is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. And I want to, I want to look at the rest of the passage uh, back at Revelation. I want to talk about three things as we close up here. Three things that I think will help you, that I think will help you actually put this into practice in your life. And this is Jesus' example. This is his message um, to the church. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. I wish I could stand and tell you that you're not going to suffer. I wish I could tell you that the devil is not going to be on the field when you show up to work tomorrow morning. I wish I could tell you that, 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 when, that when you're alone, that you're not going to have negative thoughts and voices in your head. I wish I could tell you that you'll never get sick, never get a cold. I wish I could tell you that you're never going to suffer. But that would just be not true. You are going to suffer. There are some things that are coming. There are some things that are coming in your life. There are some things that you're going to go through. And the devil's going to be on the field of your life. And God's going to allow him to run his plays. Well, this is God's message to the church in Smyrna. First of all, he says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. And so I'm going to do a little Greek class for you today. Um, I study New Testament Greek as a, as a teenager and so whenever I read the Bible, I like to go back to the original language because sometimes when you read it in English, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because sometimes when I read do not fear, that doesn't connect with me. That doesn't resonate with me. Things which you're about to suffer, I can't really uh, connect with the suffering that the church in Smyrna did, right? Because they were, they were losing their, their, their lives. They, their children were being killed in front of their eyes. They're going through stuff that I have not, never even thought about going through. I can't really relate to that. And so, and, so, and so you have to go not just to the English word, but sometimes you have to go to the original word to see what the meaning, what Jesus is really trying to say. And the word suffer, I want to I talk to you about the word suffer. It's, uh, it's a word that's really hard to pronounce in English, but it is, as best I can write it, would be pasco. So you have to hock up some saliva uh, in order <laughs> to actually pronounce it properly. It's like pacho. You got to get something on the back of your throat. And <laughs> do it later in your private time, okay? This is just for you. It's just for you. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need none of that. And this means suffer, but it means to be um, affected. So not affected, but see if how good my spelling is. Affected. It means, and, and, and affected is speaking to your emotions. When you're, this is good grammar English class, when you're affected by something, that means that it alters your course. But when you're affected by something, it means that, it, that it, it, it affects how you feel about something. It affects how you see something. It affects how you think about something. He said you're about to suffer. In other words, you are about to pasco. You're about to be strongly, adversely affected. Like, like, like you're about to get blindsided. You're about to get sacked, right? To keep with the NFL narrative. You're about, you're, you, you are about to be hit by something that you're not expecting, you're not ready for, and you don't have enough resources to handle. You're about to be hit, affected. 
And the area that you're going to be affected in is not necessarily in your body, is not necessarily in your family or your finances, but the area is your emotions. You are going to be affected. You're going to be hit in your emotions. You're going to be, you're going to be, life is going to throw you a curveball and it is going to affect you. It's going to, it's going to hit you below the belt. It's going to hit you where it hurts. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be wounded. You're going to be, you're going to be grieving. You're going to be, you're going to be weeping. You're going to be sorrowful. You're going to be, I mean, all of the emotions, you're going to be fearful. That's why, that's why it doesn't necessarily connect with me when, when people say, you know, they're going through hard times. Well, well, you know, don't fear, brother. Just, just be courageous. Because there's, there's, there's an element to fear that is actually healthy. Fear, is an, as, as an emotion, is actually quite healthy. I wish my five-year-old boy had more of it in his life because it would save me on some medical bills down the road. You need to have some fear sometimes about some stuff, right? Like, 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 like some fear is healthy, it's helpful, it's good to have, and some of it is just emotional, and you can't get rid of it even if you try. Like, like if, you're not, if you're not just a little bit nervous, uh, you haven't been paying attention. You know what I'm saying? You haven't been watching the news. Like you haven't had your head in the sand if you're not feeling a little bit. Because, because your emotions will always be affected by certain things. And that's okay. One of the worst things we've done in the church is, is make people feel guilty for feeling. And that's wrong. You're supposed to feel you're supposed to feel the gravity and the brevity of your situation and your life, and that is okay to be afraid. It is okay to be affected. Jesus didn't say that this was something really bad, and, well, then you're going to have to come back to church and repent again in order to get to heaven after you've been affected. No, 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 no. This is part of life. You get a curveball in your life, you are going to be affected. He says, you can, you're not going to be able to help it. You're not going to be able to sidestep it. It doesn't matter. You ought to pray. But even in your prayer, you read the Psalms. Go ahead, read what David had to say. See if he was affected by anything that he went through. Was he always saying, well, the Lord is good and uh, good all the time, and I'm the head and not the tail? He didn't even say that once. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, he was constantly crying out to God out of his emotions that were constantly being affected by the stuff that was crashing into his world. And that's inspired scripture. That's the Holy Spirit breathing that. That's the Holy Spirit telling you it's okay to feel. It's okay to fear. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to be, to be, to be, in, in, uh, to be intrepid about what is going on and, and to have some intrepidation, actually. In, in your life, those things and feelings are okay. They are a result of the enemy being on the field. If you're on the field, you're going to be affected. And if you're not affected, I'm wondering if you're really on the field. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If some of these Christians are never affected by anything. I think that's because they're not on the field. They're, 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 they're there with Roma warming the bench, watching... And if that's the case, they need to give a speech like Romo gave because that was awesome. I mean, that was just, that was, that's what needs to happen. They need to say, you know what, I'm going to stop criticizing because those guys are actually doing something. 
If you're on the field of life, you're going to be affected. Be sure of it. Be absolutely sure of it. Don't deny it. It's going to happen. This is what Jesus says about that. Don't fear the effect. Don't fear the effect. Now, the word fear is interesting because in our language, fear means it's an emotion. But the word, the original word there is something uh, that I can pronounce very well, which is phobeo. Phobeo, P-H-O-B-E-O. It's where we get our word phobia from. So he's not saying don't feel fearful. He's not saying that. He's not talking about emotion. Phobia, number one, is an irrational fear. If you have arachnophobia, (laughs) that's an irrational fear of spiders. Now, some fear of spiders is good, and I'm trying to tell my boy about this, because you can get bit, and that's not nice. I think there's a primal, natural fear of things that will bite you and hurt you, and I think that's great. But there's an irrational fear. Like, you know, like if you go to your car, which happens to me because I live in a farm, and I go to open the door, and there's a big spider web with a big spider there. You know, like the the rational thing to do, the spider is this big, I am this big. And the rational thing to do is to take your foot and, you know, squish it on your door. That's the rational thing to do. But if you have arachnophobia, if you have a phobia about, then, then what you will do is you will start screaming like a little girl and you will run away as fast as you possibly can. You will douse the car with gasoline, you will light the match. <laughs> That's irrational. Now, 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 if I go to my car in the morning and I open up the door and there is a, a clown there with a knife with blood on it and he's looking at me, I'm going to scream like a little girl and I'm going to run away, I'm going to douse it with gasoline. I mean, I'm going to do that. Because that's just freaky, you know. (laughs) Not to mention a little bit dangerous. There are some things that you ought to scream like a girl and run from, but there are other things that you shouldn't. In other words, your phobia is when your fear is not in proportion to the reality of things. And this is what I'm talking about. We get affected and we freak out. We're like, oh, no, it's just a spider. Just step on it and go along with life. Phobia is where you have an irrational fear. Like, like as, if, as, 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 if, as if you being affected is going to crush the kingdom of God. As if you being affected is going to stop what God started. You know, it's, 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 it's irrational. You're looking at it, but you're not looking at it for what it really is. It's, your enemy is already defeated. Your enemy, yeah, he's on the field, but he's already been defeated. We've already watched, we've already watched the Super Bowl. I can rewind it for you if you like, and I can show you where he lost. It was 2,000 years ago on a place called Calvary when he crucified the Son of Glory, and his blood was enough for you and for me. I mean, we, we, can, we can go back to that play, if you like, that touchdown pass, that Hail Mary that Jesus did. Like, we can talk about that. But this is, this, is, this, this, is, this is okay. This is normal. But it is not normal to be freaking out about this. He said, you're going to suffer things, but don't phobia about it. Don't phobeo about it. And actually, the word phobeo has, has a meaning in it literally to run in fear. That's what it means, to run in fear. So I, 
this is, this is so eye-opening for me. Jesus is not condemning emotions. He is not even speaking to emotions. He's not speaking to your feelings. He's speaking, that's cool, whatever, all right, that's great. I'm not talking to what you're feeling. I'm talking to your feet. I'm telling your feet, take another step. I'm telling your feet, take another step, okay? So now take another step. Yeah, but I'm not feeling, okay, that's cool. Whatever you're feeling is fine, but you take another step. You're allowed to feel whatever you want to feel, but don't let your feelings affect your feet because your feelings cannot drive your life. Your decisions have to drive your life there's a it's so I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself so 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 fo, so phobeo is to uh fear and run yeah that's run okay and the third word that he says here he says you, you, the devil's gonna throw you into prison you'll be tested but i want you to be faithful most of the time when we think of the word faithful, we think of consistent. And I think that's part of the word faithful. But this word faithful actually means to remain convinced. <laughs> to remain convinced. Convinced of what? What you were convinced of before. To stay convinced. So he says, look, the enemy is going to throw you into prison. And the purpose is to steal your faith. But I want you to remain convinced. I want you to, to stay fully convinced. And for some of you here today, you need to become fully convinced. You've never really been fully convinced. You've always kind of had doubts and well, I'm not sure if this is the way or that's the way. But what, 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 what he's saying is you have been fully convinced. I want you to stay fully convinced. And the word uh, for faithful is pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S. So basically, you need to stay pissed off. And some of you need to get pissed off. <laughs> New Testament Greek class jokes. It's true. This is what it is. Some, like, like, this is to be fully convinced. This is the same word that, 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 that Paul said. He said, I am fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I am fully persuaded that he is able. I am, I, am, I am completely convinced. I have not a doubt in my mind. There's not a contingency plan in my heart. What I have committed to him, I know that he can keep until that day. I am fully convinced. I know. It's really just saying I know. Jesus has been telling them all this time that he knows what they're going through. But he's saying now it's time for you to know what you know. You need to know what you know. Like you need to ask yourself, what is it that I know? I know I am fully convinced that God is faithful. I am fully convinced that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think. I am fully convinced that he, he has a plan for me, that he knows the plans he has for me, and that they are to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me a future and a hope. I am fully convinced. Romans, Romans said, I am persuaded or I am fully convinced that neither, that, that neither height nor depth nor principality nor power nor, nor, nor things present nor things to come nor life nor death nor any other creature could separate me from the love of God. You don't need to get saved every week. If God's good enough to save you last week, he's good enough to keep you this week. Why don't you get convinced? Why don't you get absolutely persuaded that he is able to do what he said he was going to do? And it's not contingent on your performance. And it's not contingent on your being affected or not being affected. You don't have to keep a perfect record of your emotions going up and down and left and right. Your, your one mistake does not discount his faithfulness. 
The, pro- the reason why we keep vacillating is we're not convinced. We're not absolutely convinced. We're slightly convinced. We like to believe it as long as somebody encourages us a little bit. But when you get convinced, you start encouraging yourself because you tell yourself what you know. I know. I, I don't need somebody else to tell me or somebody else to tell me what they know or what they think or what their opinion is of my life. I know. Because here's the deal. We got, we got, we got, we got, we got feeling. We got feet. And, and then we got facts. There's an old, there's an old poem that says uh, there are three men walking on a wall. Feeling, faith, and fact. That's the name of the men. Feeling, faith, and fact. It says, feeling had a great fall, and so faith was taken back. So close was faith to feeling that faith almost fell too. But fact remained and was able to bring feeling back to faith. If you want to get your feeling back to your faith, you got to take a hold of the hand of your facts. (laughs) If you want to get feeling back to faith, you have to take a hold of the hand of fact. Because facts don't change regardless of how you feel. Facts don't adjust with the stock market or with who, whoever is elected. Facts don't, 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 don't sway with, with whatever happens in your life and whatever un, unforeseen tragedy might happen in your life. The facts remain. And if you, want to, if you want to get your feeling back, because that's what happens. You're walking along life, and you got these three men. you got, you got, you got your feeling back there, and they're just, they're, just, they're just all excited and happy and cheerful, and, and, and they're you know, singing all the time. And then, and, then, and then you have faith, and faith is all about Jesus. And faith just says, oh, God's good, and I believe in God, and I believe God has a plan for my life, and I believe that nothing can separate me from the love of God. And then, and then you have the facts. What's driving the train in your life is not your feeling or your faith. It's your facts. It's what you believe to be true after all the feeling and and faith has kind of disappeared. What you absolutely believe, that's what's driving your life. And so you got these three men walking on the wall, and then you get affected, right? And so uh, a feeling is back here, and they're they're the first one to go. They just fall off the wall. And so feeling is is, is dangling there on the side, and faith says, oh, hey, hold up a second. I kind of like feeling. Feeling's good. I like feeling helps me follow Jesus. Feeling like when I'm singing worship songs and tears of tears is feeling. It's great. It's wonderful. We we can't can't go without feeling. We got to get feeling. And so, so faith starts trying to help feeling. And that's what happens whenever, whenever feeling falls. Your faith starts trying to help it out. So you tell yourself, everything's going to be okay. God's going to take care of us. God's not going to let us get thrown into prison. Smyrna, right? I mean, that, that one, God's going to stop the devil. God told us so that, so that we could, you know, go burn up all the prisons in Smyrna. And then, so we got an inside game plan. God's not going to let that happen to me. And so our faith starts trying to supplement our feeling and trying to drag our feeling back up. The problem is faith isn't strong enough to pull feeling up because feeling is so heavy. Because feeling is... And that's what happens whenever, whenever feeling falls. Your faith starts trying to help it out. So you tell yourself, everything's going to be okay. God's going to take care of us. God's not going to let us get thrown into prison. Smyrna, right? I mean, that, that one, God's going to stop the devil. God told us so that, so that we could, you know, go burn up all the prisons in Smyrna. And then, so we got an inside game plan. God's not going to let that happen to me. And so our faith starts trying to supplement our feeling and trying to drag our feeling back up. The problem is faith isn't strong enough to pull feeling up. Because feeling is so heavy.
And that doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always feel like, oh, I'm just on cloud nine after I gave my life to Jesus. That doesn't always feel good because God might have other plans than you have. And so when you use prayer to try to feel better, what you end up doing, you just pray that God will help you feel better. And you're completely missing the point. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he is sweating drops of blood, and he is in anguish. And he never once says, God, would you help me feel better? I thought I'd come talk to you tonight so that I would feel better. No, he is talking in order to align his will with his Father's. And, and he, when, he, when, when he gets it, when, when it gets aligned, when he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, he's done praying. That's the purpose of prayer, to come into alignment with the will and the desire of God in your life. And he's still sweating blood. And he's still in anguish, the Bible says. Why? Because God's will wasn't pretty. It was a cross. For Smyrna, it's jail. Ten days of tribulation. You walk out of a prayer meeting, you don't really feel better. And so you're you're still trying to get your feelings with your faith, and your faith ends up falling off. And the way back is for faith to stop trying to corral feelings and for faith to hold on to facts. What do you know? Right? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what do you know? Like, I know you're freaking out because of the fire. I know know King Nebuchadnezzar is, you know, psycho. And uh, he's... Heating the fire seven times hotter, like you need it seven times hotter. And, and, and he's telling you to bow to the statue. And if you don't bow to the statue, he's going to chuck you in. Like, like, like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how do you feel at this moment? <laughs> Not too good. Not too good. I was hoping, you know, I would live a little bit longer. That was my thought. Or I would die in my sleep or like a bullet to the head. But burning alive in a furnace was not on my game plan. I don't really feel like, no, of course not. Your feeling just disappears at that moment. And okay, so where's your faith? Where's your faith? Where's, where's, where's your faith, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, you hear their faith when they talk to the king and they say, king, oh, king, you know, hey, you're, you're, yeah, you're all, you think you're all that. But here's the deal. I serve a God who, who is able to deliver me from the fire. My faith is in the fact that God's infinite ability is greater than my capacity to get in trouble. He's able to do more than I'm able to do less. And so his ability covers my situation. There's an ability over my situation that completely covers it. And here's the deal, King. Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver us, my fact is I know that I will not bow to you and your statue. (laughs) That's the fact. And this is what Smyrna needs to get in their head. Even if he throws me in jail, I'm not backing off from following Jesus. Even if he, whatever, this is not going to happen. He's going to run his play. He's going to try to sack us and throw us into prison. And he is not going to steal my faith. He is not going to steal my fortitude. He's not going to break through the wall of my faith. My faith is a shield and it's blocking every single fiery dart that the enemy is trying to take at me because I am not letting down my faith. You can take my kids, you can take my family, you can take my finances, you can take my health, but you're not going to take my faith. It's interesting. There's no mention of this church in the Bible, except for this passage, the church in Smyrna. There's no mention in the book of Acts, there's no mention in all the letters of Paul, uh, Peter, Jude, John, James. I mean, all the, like, like, there's no mention of the church in Smyrna, except for this small little passage in Revelation chapter 2. 
However, Smyrna is the center of a Christian historical moment. A guy by the name of Polycarp, who was a uh, Christian historian and pastor, pastored the church in Smyrna. He would have been about 26 years old when this letter was written to the church in Smyrna. And we we know that because in uh, about 156 AD, Polycarp was martyred in Smyrna. And the Jews were the first ones to bring the wood to put at his feet to burn him alive. And, 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 and Polycarp enters the arena. The proconsul, the Roman proconsul says, uh, gives him the choice. He says, you can curse the name of Christ and make sacrifice to Caesar or death. And this is Polycarp's response. He's 86 years old at this point. That's how we know his age when the letter was written. He's 86 years old. And he says, 80 and six years have I served him. And he has done me no wrong. you got to know what you know. Some of us can't even say six months have I served him and he's done me no wrong because we've allowed the lie of the enemy to question whether or not he's actually done us wrong. And Polycarp, pastoring in Smyrna, a difficult place of pressure and poverty, stands before the proconsul and says, 80, let me tell you what I know. 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. And he says, how can I blaspheme my king who saved me? <laughs> and so the Jews got the wood and they prepared the fire, uh, doused it, uh, tar and pitch. And they had a, 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 a pole, a pillar to tie Polycarp to. And, and Polycarp goes up to the pole and, and he says, uh, he, he's quoted as saying this, he says, leave me as I am. In other words, don't tie me up. He says, leave me as I am, for he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved. And he's burned alive without being bound to anything except the facts. (laughs) He was so bound to the facts that he was able to stay in the fire. You got to tie yourself to something bigger than yourself with something more than yourself. You got to tie yourself to the facts of what you know to be true about God. I'm not talking about with ropes or chains. I'm talking with the, with the unmovable, unshakable, be faithful. I am persuaded, and I'm not changing my mind. I know what I know, and what I know is telling me what to do. It's telling me what to feel. It's telling me what to believe. Feeling, you can get on board as long as you're walking behind facts. Faith, we need you, but you need to hold on to facts. In facts, you need to be grounded in who Jesus is. In October of this year, they discovered an ancient Smyrna graffiti uh, at one of the booths. And they believe it's from around the time of this letter, the early church. One of the booths uh, where people would sit, outdoor seating area, there was some graffiti and it was an acrostic word puzzle. 
written in Greek. But right in the middle of the acrostic word puzzle was the word logos. It was a word used usually by the early church to identify who's a Christian and who's not. They believed perhaps that Christians would go and sit at that particular seat in order to meet other Christians. Because they couldn't declare themselves publicly. They couldn't be caught. It's an interesting word that they chose, logos. Because it means word. It means what is written. It means what I know. You've got to get back to what you know get back to what is written because it will identify you and it will draw others to you who are like-minded with you and it'll get your feeling back and your faith back would you bow your head with me